Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. Like I said, next week we're going to jump into this series. We're going to call it Strange New World. And we're going to look at, we're going to connect the dots. Uh, we're going to connect the theological and philosophical underpinnings that brought us to where we're at today and how we can correct this thing. And so uh, I, w- I want to encourage you, get a hold of that book. Uh, I've went through that one and in a larger academic version that the guy put out. They're, they're tremendous, uh, and it really does bring us up to speed on where we're at. So we're going to look at that. Uh, we're going to start that next week, but I was going to preach on something else this morning, and uh, I usually get up early on, on Sundays. I did this morning, and uh, I was just worshiping, and the Lord dropped a thought in my heart. You, he, the audacity of God changing my message, but uh, I just became intrigued by a principle in scripture that I want to share with you this morning. And I believe the Lord has a word for us, and I believe the Lord wants to do something very specific in some hearts this morning. Uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for all that you've done thus far. And Lord, I ask that you would speak to us. Lord, we thank you for your self-revelation, that you long to reveal yourself to your people. Now, Lord, we ask that you would take this facet of your character that you laid upon my heart this morning and shine it bright into our hearts and help us to learn the implications behind this thing. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, man, uh, I've got a half hour. I'm gonna read some things. There are numerous names by which God identifies himself in scripture. Each reveal a unique facet of his nature. This is true of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. There are, there are names, titles that the Father has adopted for himself, that the Son has been assigned and the Spirit has been assigned. They adopt for themselves because they, they communicate uh, certain facets of God's nature and character. Now, we do have a word to sum up all that he is. It's God. That's the name. But that is too big for us to process. And so God graciously takes titles and gives them to himself by which he relates to us through those titles. And so each give a facet or or an insight to a facet of his nature. You could say that God has a name for every situation you'll ever go through. You just need to get in the word and find that name. And the Lord is, uh, there's an interesting verse. We've been talking about this uh, in intercession uh, some here recently. How there's a scripture that says, it's the glory of a king to, I mean the glory of the Lord to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search a matter out. Part of your royal assignment as a king and a priest is to search out the mysteries that God has concealed for you. And the Lord loves to do that. He really does. It's like a dad who plays hide and seek with his kids. He takes his big old body and plants it behind a little tiny piece of furniture and his body's sticking out all over. And the little kid is, I can't, oh, I see daddy. And the dad's laughing and all of a sudden the kid grabs, oh. And it's, it's not that the dad was really trying to hide. It was the fun of being found in that little interaction. God's the same way. He's a good father and he, he conceals all kinds of things for us. And what the Lord loves is the process of the revealing. 
The Lord loves to take us on journeys and drop little nuggets along the way and we begin to pull on those things and uh, you know, pray into those and, and that revelation expands. And so the Lord is into that and there's, there are numerous different titles that God has adopted for himself by which he, reveal, he reveals himself to us. And one hit me early this morning. It's a specific title that is named twice in Scripture. Matter of fact, I, I just have my earbud in, and uh, I was I, I put on some worship and pulled the blankets over my head, and I was worshiping Jesus, and I didn't want to wake my wife up. And it was this song that kept saying this phrase, and it just hit me. I've I've heard this phrase many times. I've mentioned. Uh, a version of it, but never preached on this phrase, and that phrase is the root of Jesse. God refers to him to Jesus twice in Scripture as the root of Jesse. He does it in Isaiah chapter 11. And then he reiterates that, he quotes Isaiah 11 in Romans 15. Let me read to you Isaiah 11, verse 1. There came forth a shoot from the root, or the ESV says the stump of of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by what he see, his eyes see or he decide by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked." That's a heavy verse. But he presents himself, or the father presents the the son. This is a messianic prophecy, but he refers to him as the root or the stump, a shoot out of the root or stump of Jesse. In Romans 15, it, it says this. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles hope. So he refers to him as the root of Jesse or stump. And uh, what Isaiah, that, that word root can also be translated stump. And so what Isaiah is alluding to is that the house of David, because Jesse was David's father, that the house of David had come under the discipline of the Lord along with the, uh, the nation or the tribe of Judah, which became a separate nation, and the nation of Israel. God had disciplined them both, but he was communicating, listen, the tree's been cut down, but there's still life in the stump, and that, the life in that stump is going to set forth another shoot that will rule the world. Even in the discipline of the Lord, the Lord says, I am committed to my promise to David. I love how God, again and again throughout Scripture, refers to David. And he'll say this phrase, for the sake of David, I will do such and such. There is a place in God where you can so capture the heart of God that God will operate for generations to come on your behalf. And he will deal with your ancestors for generations to come because of how you captured his heart. I don't know about you, but that makes me excited. And that makes me jealous. I want to be such a man. I want my great, 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 great grandbabies, if Jesus tarries, to know that God is still dealing with them kindly because of what their great, great grandpappy Dave did. You can break into the favor of God that is generational. 
So much so that God identifies his son with David's lineage. But what really blew my mind, because he does refer to him also as the son of David, but he calls him the root of Jesse. Because redemption not only goes forward into the generations to come, it also bleeds backwards into the generations that produced you. It's an amazing thing. and we, we did touch on this, I believe, at Father's Day, but I never saw how even God picked up this phrase, the root of Jesse. It never hit me before till this morning. We talked about how in, I want to say it's 1 Samuel chapter 23, I believe it is, where it's the last will and testament of David. David's on his, his, he's on his deathbed. He's getting ready to die. And it says, these are David's final words. Matter of fact, let me see if I can, I, I might have cut and pasted that. If not, I'll read it. I'll look it up for you. Yeah, here it is. 2 Samuel 23. Listen to what it says. Now these are the last words of David, the oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. So it's an interesting thing that David refers to himself that way. I mean, it's, it's some pretty highfalutin language. He is very confident in his call. He owns it. And there's almost, you could make a, a case where David's getting a little braggadocious on his deathbed. He can finally say, hey, listen, I'm the man that God chose, God anointed, God exalted me on high, and there's a gratitude as David lays upon his bed, uh, a little nobody shepherd boy that now has decades of leadership behind him, and he's in awe as he's on the precipice of stepping into eternity on what God has done with his life. But in, in, in introducing all that God had done through him, David first reaches back in his lineage and he says, David, and now David had become a man famous in Israel. To this day, the Israelites look back at the reign of David as the high watermark of their history. And David is introducing himself. He, he has subdued his enemies. He has lived a good life. He's getting ready to be laid to rest with his forefathers. And he's going to talk about all that God has done for him and through him. But before he does so, he says, David that exalted name in Israel, and he understands who he is, he reaches back and he says, the son of Jesse. And he pulls his father up on the same platform with him. And in so doing, he elevates the name of his dad. Now that's a beautiful thing, a, a son honoring a father, but you need to understand the nature of this relationship. This was a relationship that was a strained relationship at best. Who is Jesse? Jesse was the son of Obed, the grandson of Boaz and Ruth, and Ruth was a Moabitess. Now the Moabites, they didn't, they didn't have a good relationship with Israel. The Moabites came from Lot. Remember when Lot left Sodom? He had two daughters and a wife that went with him, and halfway out of the city, his wife turns back, turns to a pillar of sight, salt, so now it's he and his daughters. And his daughters, they had been subjected to the tremendous immorality of Sodom. And so they get to talking, and they said, listen, there's no, God, there's no guys up here. We're not going to get married. We're not going to have any kids. Let's get dad drunk, and we'll seduce him. 
That's really what happened. You gotta love how the Bible doesn't paint a rosy picture and kind of edit history. It tells the good, the bad, and the ugly. And the oldest daughter, they get their dad Lot drunk. He was so drunk that he didn't remember laying with them, nor did he realize when she left. And she got pregnant with a young son named Moab. And that was the beginning of the Moabites. And the Israelites looked at the Moabites as defiled people because of the, the inception, where they came from. And, and uh, there was, there was uh, bad blood between them for many generations. And all of a sudden, there's this, this guy goes to Moab, Moab uh, an Israelite, because it was a famine. He goes there and his sons get married to two Moabite girls. Ruth, and I forget the name of the other one. Would anybody yell it out here? See if you've been to Awana. No. And uh, so Ruth, Ruth gets, uh, so the, the, uh, the father and the two sons all die. So now we got three widows. And they're making their way back to Israel. And the other, the, the, the other wife says, I'm going back to my people. And the mother-in-law says, fine, you, I understand. I bless you to do so. But Ruth says, I'm going to stick with you. Your people are my people. Your land is my land. And she goes back and there's a kinsman redeemer that was related to her husband that named Boaz and he marries her. It's, a, it's an interesting story. And so this Moabitess woman with all of its history, is brought in, and out of that union came Obed, out of which came Jesse, and out of Jesse came David, and out of David came the root of Jesse, King Jesus. And so we have this lineage, and, and uh, there's, there's some sordid stories in Jesus' family line, okay? His human lineage, there's some really sordid stories, and that Moabitess story is just one among many. And God doesn't gloss over those. Neither does he gloss over Jesse. Matter of fact, Saul, when Saul would talk of David and he said, where is that son of Jesse? It was used as a derogatory term. Now we know that Jesse was a wealthy man. He was, he was well-to-do because of the gifts that he sent to Saul when Saul wanted David to come and serve him. But there was something going on there that it was, a, it was, it was like a degrading reference when he talked about Jesse in reference to David. And we know that there was some kind of strained relationship in their life because when Samuel came, the Spirit of the Lord came on Samuel, told him, I've rejected Saul as king. I'm going to raise up a new one. He said, how long are you going to mourn Saul, the one that you anointed in my, you know, for me? He said, I've rejected him. I'm going to anoint one to take his place. You are to go to Bethlehem, uh, Je to, uh, to Jesse of Bethlehem, and I'm going to anoint one of his kids. So you go and I'll tell you what to do. So he gets his horn of oil. They would hollow out a horn and put oil in it and they would glug it over someone's head when they're going to anoint him. So he goes and he tells the elders of the city because they, they met Samuel and this is the revere that they had for prophets. They said, did you come in peace? They were terrified. He said, yes, I came in peace. He said, we're going to have a sacrifice. Consecrate yourselves. And he specifically consecrated Jesse and his sons and said, come to this meeting, to this sacrifice. Well, when they show up, Samuel's looking at these fine young Jewish boys. They look like fine strapping young men and he, he assumed that the eldest would be the king. And the Lord said, don't look at outward appearance. 
I don't judge by what you judge by. I'm looking at their hearts, and this is not the one I've chosen. He went through all the sons of, of Jesse, and finally he said to him, he said, is this all your boys? And Jesse answers, he said, well, there is a, another one. There's, there's one last one. He's out in the field, he, the youngest. And the terminology that Jesse used of David was derogatory. It had the idea of youngest, but also an insignificant one. Some, some translators even say that he said he's a, uh, the word I've read, it's a, it's a very derogatory term. I don't remember the exact term, but it was, it was like worthless one, as, as some translators say, it, it more of a, of a worthless one. And Samuel said, we're not going to eat. We will not sit down and eat until you bring him. And as soon as David, David was a little guy, but it said he was handsome and ruddy in appearance. I don't know what that means, but he comes in and he's looking handsome and he's a little guy. And the spirit of God comes on Samuel and says, that's the one. And so Samuel anoints David as Israel's future king. It's an amazing story. They already had a king that God rejected, a man that was head and shoulders above the rest. If anybody would have been chosen because of their physical stature, it would have been Saul. But David was chosen because God saw something inside of him, his heart. David was the one that would go on to write the psalm that says, God is a father to the fatherless, and he sets the lonely in families. David had this revelation that God would become the father that he needed and didn't have. And so David is fathered by God on the backside of the desert. And even though he's pushed off to the side by his father, God picks him up and adopts him and David responds and they build something in God that qualified him to be the next king of Israel. So much so that, again, for generations, God would look back and say, for the sake of David, I will do this thing. He even identifies his own son, the son of God himself. God himself takes on a human name and says, I am the son of David. But he also said, I'm the root of Jesse. Now, many scholars believe this, and I, I, I'm not a scholar, but I believe it. I, I do believe that the reason that Jesse didn't invite David was because I believe that David was the product of an illicit relationship that Jesse had fallen into. There was tremendous sexual immorality all down through the lineage of this family. David penned these words, and theologians will read that two different ways. He said, in sin I was conceived. And people say, well, what that means is that, yeah, it was in sin we were conceived because we're fallen nature and, and uh, we need to be redeemed. Well, that, that's true of everyone. That'd be a nonsensical thing to say. Who wasn't? And when someone says that today, we don't think they're talking about theological, the theological idea of original sin. David was referring to an illicit relationship his dad had, and that would explain why Jesse would be embarrassed to have David when the prophet was there. A guy who can read your mail, the last thing you want is the reminder of your illicit relationship walking around the room. And so it's a beautiful thing that the product of this man's indiscretion was redeemed and that God saw something in the heart of this young man and said, I am gonna take him as the next king. Now you need to catch that this morning. Because your greatest failures in life just may be the avenue through which God uses you most. 
that the, the product of your worst decisions may be the very platform God builds a ministry for you on and that God will use that to touch the lives of others. But that means that we have to own it, we have to deal with it, and we have to have that thing redeemed. And the thing we cannot do is be ashamed of it and hide it. Like Jesse was trying to do. David wrote scripture on it. He owned this thing. He said, in sin I was conceived, but God is also the father to the fatherless. The answer to the problem my dad created was found in God, but David wasn't content to just have God as his father. David wanted that redemption to go back in the generations. Even though God, even though his dad wouldn't be identified with him, there's something in David that said, I want my dad to be identified with me because I've gone well beyond the status my dad had. My dad was a wealthy farmer, but I've become the king of Israel. I've become the psalmist of Israel, the great warrior, the man after God's own heart. And so he reached back, and so in David's final words, he says, I am a man, I, I am, he says, I am the king, the oracle of God, the son of Jesse. He identifies his father with himself. But this is what blew my mind. God honored that. So that even God referred to Jesus, the son of David, as the root of Jesse. Even God, see, there's a place in God where, and I felt this this morning, some of you are concerned about relationships with your family. There are broken relationships down through the lineage of your family. And I'm here to tell you this morning, once you're reconciled to God, that life-giving sap doesn't just press to the edges of your branches and produce fruit in the future generations. It will go back and get to the roots of your family. And God wants to redeem things, mistakes your family has made, your, 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 grand, your, your grandparents and down through the lineage. God wants to redeem all that. God is zealous about us fulfilling the purpose of our family name and when one generation falls short you know what God does he pushes it to the next generation I don't fully understand this principle but there is something there's a way in which God threads the generations together by calling people to something and then calling them to something bigger than they can accomplish in their own lifetime so that it has to bleed over into their future and the future generations have to keep up with it. And the reason I know this is true is because he even did it with Jesus. Paul said, I fill up in my body that which remains of the sufferings of Christ. What is that? That is that principle. God is weaving these, these generations together. In Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about those, or chapter 11 rather, those who believed for a promise but were denied, other refused, and then he tells us why. So that only together with us, those that are left behind after they've deceased, can their, their, the fulfillment of their assignment be made perfect. So they're on the sideline cheering us on because they're in the same race we are. And our performance is part of their performance. The medal they receive will be based just as much on our running as their running. 
And so there's this generational thing. And David could look back in mercy on his dad, a guy who tried to disown him in front of a prophet, kind of keep him on the backside, gave a derogatory testimony about who he was, but the prophet knew better because he'd already heard from God. And all, had his dad had his way, he would have never been invited to the meeting, let alone come under the, the horn of oil. And David could have very easily been frustrated and embittered with his dad. But you know what he did? He took the anointing on his life and the favor he, went, he found with God. And he died at an elevated position of respect and honor in the annals, the, 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 the history of Israel. And then he did. He reached back and said, Dad, I want you to stand right next to me. When they look up my picture in the encyclopedia of Israel's kings, I want your picture to be right next to me. I wanna honor you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let the honor that I've achieved through the grace of God to bleed back into the generations in the past. It's an awesome thing. And God honored that. You see, God is not, God is not worried about his reputation. He doesn't distance himself when you have a failure. You know that? I've been in ministry a long time. Been walking with Jesus, be 39 years this year. Been in ministry for most of that time. And I've seen people have moral failures. And I've seen how ministers run for the hills when that happens. Man, they're having coffee and, and uh, you know, high-fiving each other, but as soon as somebody is exposed, all of a sudden they're running from the hills and that guy's left alone. And the reason they do that is they're afraid of guilt by association. They're afraid that people will judge their reputation by that other's indiscretion. And so they distance themselves. But God's not that way. He refers to his son as the root of Jesse. It's an amazing thing. He owns the Moabites. <laughs> he, he doesn't hide those. I, I told you that, that joke a couple weeks ago about how we cover up the, the uh, stories in our history. God doesn't do that. The Pharisees were real big on distancing themselves. Matter of fact, they would always ask for the roots of a person, not their fruit. They would, when they heard Jesus teach, they said, where did he come from? Where was he educated? Who's he hanging out with? They recognized the fruit of God on his ministry, but that's not what they were concerned of. They wanted, to, they wanted to find some guilt by association. But Jesus was a friend of sinners. Now there's a meme going around on, on uh, social media, and there's truth to it. It says that Jesus wasn't the friend of sinners just to hang out with them and validate them. He was trying to win them so that they could be redeemed themselves, and that's true. But it wasn't an insincere attempt for a pragmatic end, okay? He, was, they, he wasn't pretending to be friendly so he could win them. Jesus really is the friend of sinners because he values people. And he's looking for people who will value people. And that really is how we win people, by being a true friend to people in their time of need. And you see this picture of God emerge from Scripture. How he will, he's willing to associate himself with some pretty questionable characters in Scripture. 
even to the point where Jesus is called the root of Jesse, not because of what Jesse had done, but because of what his son had done. And the son honored the father, and the, God, and the father God honored that decision and said, I will too. I'm going to honor Jesse. And I felt from the Lord this morning that some of you, there is tension in your family relationships. There have been things you've gone through and there's broken relationships, there's wounded feelings. Some of you, there's been flat out wrong and sin that has been done against you. But I'm here to tell you this morning, God is out to save more than you and redeem more than you as an individual. He wants to touch your family. And that begins with your decision because the decision you make will be honored by God. God says, David said, I'm David, the son of Jesse. Come on up here, dad. So from then on, God says, the son that I'm gonna produce that's gonna save the word, he's the root of Jesse. Not just the son of David. I'm going back another generation. And some of you need to get a vision for how God wants to touch your family and redeem some things in your family tree. You need to get beyond the hurt they caused and have compassion and realize, like Jesus said on the cross, Father, they know not what they do. Is he hung there beaten and naked, mocked and ridiculed, sentenced to death in a kangaroo court for a crime they knew and he knew he didn't commit? And what does he say to God? These are men who knew the word and knew better. And he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. How much more should we be able to forgive? I was reading in Colossians just yesterday, and it, it says this in Colossians and in the sister book of Ephesians. The same phrase is reiterated. Forgive one another in God, in God the same way Christ has forgiven you. In other words, the standard of your forgiveness is this. Just forgive the way God forgave you. Just forgive the amount you've been forgiven. God's not require you to give any more than you've received. Now, if you think that lets you off the hook, you need to go back and have the Lord show you your sin. And you'll realize, whoa, I've got a lot of, I've got a lot of room left with all those who have offended me. I've got enough mercy to give away. But God wants to redeem some families this morning. There is, is life-giving sap that is released through your forgiveness and your honoring the previous generations. And we need, to have, we need to ask the Lord to give us eyes to see the good. If you can't honor the people because of their behavior, and I know there are stories out there. I've heard some hair-raising stories over the years. I'm telling you, you can Honor the position that they, a father and a mother, a family, they bear your name. And what God does, he loves to redeem one as the representative and through them pull up the whole lot and begin to move through your family. I'm gonna close with this. Years ago, uh, Jack Hayford, he was studying and the Lord spoke to him and said, you are, you are like a first fruits and when I touch a family tree, something is released through the generations of that family. 
There's just like in a tree, the life-giving sap begins to flow. When you get saved, I begin to move throughout that family. So I want you to cooperate with me and begin to lift up the Hayford name. Now, many of you may not know who Jack Hayford is. He was, he's a tremendous man of God, statesman. He's probably in his 90s now. I believe he's still alive. Uh, pastored a huge church out in California for many years. Just a very gentle profound man of God that walked with the Lord and heard his, him very clearly. So he began to pray every day, God, I lift up the Hayford name before your throne. I lift up the Hayford name. And lo and behold, he started getting phone calls. He'd get a call in his office. Uh, are you Jack Hayford? Are you related to so-and-so? And do you have a family? And he'd say, yeah, yeah. And he'd say, the, the people would say, I'm just passing through. These are people he'd never met. They said, I, I, I know I'm related to the Hayford family, or I'm too, I'm a Hayford, I'm from Indiana. And they'd get to talking and the people would say, you know, I just got saved in the last few months and I, I saw that you're a Hayford and you're a pastor and I wondered. And again and again he had this happen. People would call him, say, I'm, I'm related to you, a distant relative. And then they would say, I just got saved in the last few months within the period of time that he began to pray that prayer. And one day as he's praying, the Lord said, you're no longer going to get those phone calls. I gave them to boost your faith and so you can share this message. But know that I am working. If you will cooperate with me, I'm going to begin to redeem your family line. Uh, you are the first fruits. I'm going to use you. And that life-giving sap that has touched you is going to begin to flow throughout the family. And some of you are very concerned about your family. Some of you have been greatly hurt by your family. Some of you don't have a relationship with your family because of things they've done to you. And I have a word from the Lord for you today that God is here and he's saying it's time for you to drop that and by the grace of God say, God, I'm, I forgive. I let them off the hook and even more so, Lord, what I'm asking is that you begin to flow through my family tree and begin to redeem them. And if you will cooperate with God and begin to lift up your family name, you can leverage the favor you've stepped into by grace for their sake. Not just for the future generations, but even the past. Those that are still alive can still be redeemed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. And Lord, we thank you that you're so gracious that you declare Jesus, the son of the living God, is also the root of Jesse. That you honored a man whose behavior was often less than honorable because his son chose to honor that man. Father, I'm asking God that you would do a work in this room right now. I just want you to open your heart. I feel like the Lord, I, I, I saw a picture of like water just flowing over this room right now and God's moving on some hearts. There's, there's some of you specifically, the Lord brought you here this morning for this message and he's saying it's time. He'll show you what to do, but it's time. He wants to move in your family. But before he can move, before he can choose them, you have to choose them. You've gotta cooperate with them. Jesus told his disciples, I give you authority to bind and loose. Whatsoever, whatsoever sins you retain, they shall be retained. Whatsoever sins you forgive, they shall be forgiven. It's a pretty radical passage. If you hold on to sins, you can actually keep people bound in their sin by your decision. 
I don't fully understand that. I just know that's what the word says. And some of you need to set some people free this morning. You need to make a decision that you're going to set your family free. So Lord, we ask God that you would move powerfully on our behalf. I just feel like the Lord, it's, I'm telling you, we are at the front end of a great harvest across the earth. We are at the front end. It's like the, the combines are pulling up to the field. The farmers are stepping out and looking at the, the fields as the sun comes up and they know this is gonna be a great harvest in the spirit. Jesus said the end time is the harvest. There are angels that gather and you don't want your family to remain in the field when the combine comes by. Hallelujah. I'm gonna ask that every head be bowed and every eye closed. I want some privacy here this morning. But if you know this word is for you, you know I've, I've, got, I've got some issues with my family that God wants to deal with this morning. And I'm saying yes, I'm gonna deal with that. Just raise your hand. Yeah, all over the room. Lord, we thank you. We thank you. Lord, we're asking that those redeeming waters would begin to flow right now. Just come before the Lord. You have authority to stand before the throne of God and just, just speak their name and say, Lord, I forgive them. I forgive them. I release them. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord. Lord, we ask for freedom. And Lord, we're asking for testimonies just as you graciously gave Jack Hayford testimonies. Lord, we're asking for the same. We're asking, God, that you would begin to move throughout the branches of our family tree. Immediate family, extended family. We thank you for it. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com slash give.